So continuing in 1 John, we are now at 1 John 2.28, and I'm going to read all the way down through uh, 1 John 3 to verse 10. So the title of the paragraph is Children of God. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he, that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love that God, that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it is not children of God. Dear friends, know we are children of God and that we will be, that we will be be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he, that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Most of us uh, know family feuds that have gone on for years and years and years. And in the end, you're not sure why it started or when it started or who said what. You just know that Christmas times are now super awkward. Well, throughout church history, we've also had this kind of family feud going on. In the, in the red corner, we have the, the legalists. Uh, everyone say legalist. And in the blue corner, we have what's known as the licentious. Everyone say licentious. And I love that word licentious because it just, I even if you don't know what it means, it just sounds bad. The licentious. And legalism is focused on religious law and license or licentiousness, which is a word we don't really use nowadays, but license or licentiousness is focused on our freedom in Christ. And in their own ways, both of these have something incredibly wrong with them, but they're really addictive. And like 
many addictive things. They can lead to all sorts of outlandish behavior. So for this sermon, we're going to refer to the legalist as the law lover. And we're going to rename the licentious person the freedom junkie. So we have the law lover. Me and the law are in love. You know, just just great. You know, romantic meals, roses, uh, long walks on the beach. That's the law lover with the law. And then we have over here the freedom junkie. And the law lover says, you have to do the right thing for God to love you. And the freedom junkie says, God loves you, Jesus saved you, now you can do whatever you want. One side is heavy on the law, the other side is heavy on grace. Sinclair Ferguson says that legalism takes away God's law, away from God's loving loving person. It's like a divorce. And we could also say that licentiousness tries to take away God's loving person away from God's law. And this is important for us because all of us fall somewhere on this spectrum. We're either law lovers and we make ourselves and others around us miserable, or we're freedom junkies where in Jesus we feel we're free to do whatever the heck we want and we ultimately make ourselves miserable and those around us miserable. And of course, the truth is that we need both of them like two wings on a hang glider. Now, I want you to imagine with me someone hang gliding. They leap off a mountain, they catch the thermals and things like that, and then hours later, they finally drift down and land on the ground. Now, what would a legalist look like if a legalist was hang gliding? What would that even look like? Well, in short, the legalist would have a horrendous time hang gliding because they'd be constantly afraid that the hang glider was going to drop them. They'd be checking the harness every minute. They'd be holding onto the crossbar like their life, life hinged on it. They, they, they'd be flying over the most amazing scenery that they could see but all that they would be seeing is their life flashing before their eyes. They would be constantly saying things like this, it's going to drop me. It's going to drop me. I must hold on myself. This is my job. I must hold on. I must prove to the hang glider that I'm worthy of it holding me. It's all up to me. In other words, seeing a legalist hang gliding would be a little bit sad. Now, what would a freedom junkie look like hang gliding? Well, they probably wouldn't make it. You see, what the freedom junkie would do is they'd unhook themselves from the safety harness, and then they'd be hanging by their fingertips from the crossbar. They'd let go with one hand and kind of swing around like a monkey and, uh, you know, just try to see what they were able to do on the hang glider. They might even unhitch themselves and try to climb on the top of the hang glider and see if they could do a bit of uh, mid-aerial surfing. They would be thinking, well, the hang glider is well-made and it's well-constructed. It has me. I'm free. And so I can do anything I want and nothing's going to happen to me. And they would say, I'm free. But then that free would become a 
as they fall to the ground. This is the difference between the law lover and the freedom junkie. The law lover smothers love with the law. There's no, there's no freedom. It's rigid and unyielding like a skeleton with no flesh. The freedom junkie, on the other hand, rides roughshod over the law and makes it all about love. It's floppy and sloppy like flesh without a skeleton. Gross. But there's a better way, a third way, and I call this person the grace glider. So you have the freedom junkie, the law lover, and then you have the grace glider. I was really lucky that my dad did a lot of flying. I used to set up his hang glider and watch him fly and jump off the mountains. It was just inspiring. And I used to sit there and make paper aeroplanes and I'd throw them off the edge of the mountain and see how far I could get them to go. And, uh, every year I would pick up a hang glider and say, can I go flying yet, Dad? And he's like, not yet. Eventually, I was able to get the hang glider off the ground, and he's like, all right, now you can start learning. And I went from there. It's the sort of person that the sport draws. You know, it's something that makes people want to jump off mountains. The memories and experiences I get from doing these flights, something that you're going to live with for the rest of your life. Look behind us, and that thing is huge. Yeah, now I'm at that elite level. The only thing left for me is to push my own boundaries. There's one thing that I've been wanting to do for the last six or seven years now, which is be the first person to uh, fly across Australia in a hang glider. Oh, wow. You need something to, to keep pushing your limits and, and keep pushing you forward. Achieving things that you never thought were achievable and having memories that last forever. Hang gliders can glide because of warm air rising known as thermals. Now, I want you to imagine with me that these thermals are God's grace, okay? Holding us up, taking us to places that we would never get to go to otherwise. And this is why we, we're calling this contraption a grace glider. It's a, it's a way of traveling that uh, relies totally on the invisible upward motion of God's grace. It's a grace glider. It's not a law, as we, we're not talking about law lovers, we're not talking about freedom junkies, we're talking about someone who's a grace glider. This is a whole new way for us to travel. Now, this person um, 
call, uh, using this grace glider, they've placed their trust in Jesus Christ. They know that he will bear their weight. They know that he won't let them down. They, 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 they know that he will never, f- never fail them where it matters. They know that they're safe with him and so they enjoy the journey. The grace glider rejects the lawless love of the freedom junkie and the loveless law of the law lover. Try saying that five times. The loveless law of the law lover. And as, but as all hang gliders know, there are three parts in a successful glide. There's the launching out, and there's the holding tight, and there's the aiming true. If we can put that up on the screen, then that would be great. The launching out, the holding tight, and the aiming true. And it's the same with a grace glider. And that's why our theme is this, that God's grace lets you launch out, hang tight, and aim true. So let's start with launching out. Uh, verse, verse five of, uh, of our scripture. If, if, if we can get back on there, please. Yeah, perfect. Verse five says this, but you know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. And then in verse eight, chapter three, verse eight says this, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the son of God appeared was why? To destroy the devil's work. And so in verse five of verse eight, we are given two reasons why Jesus showed up on the scene. Number one was to take care of your sin, was to get rid of it. And number two was destroy the work of the devil. So if, if, if we keep going with this idea of being on this mountainside, well, Satan had you, or if you're not in Christ today, has you shackled onto the mountainside with sin. And our sin kind of acts like this incredible weight that means that we will never get airborne on our own. We are too heavy. It's a bit like trying to hang glide with a rhinoceros holding onto you. It will never, ever happen. And so you see other people launching off the mountainside, experiencing the thermals of God's grace, but you're shackled, you are, you are, you are limited, you are unable to move. And then along comes Jesus with this industrial set of angle grinders and bolt cutters, and he sets you free from this rhinoceros weight of your sin. Jesus shows up on the scene so that he might take away your sin. And this is our launch pad knowing that through the cross, Jesus has taken away our sin and destroyed the work of the devil. And when Jesus took away our sin, Satan lost any leverage that he had over us. His power over us ended. We were then free to launch and to fly. Jesus did everything to get us free. And this flight of faith starts with grace, gliding on his grace. And once we're airborne, phase two kicks in, hanging tight. Now, a major part of the secret of any successful hang gliding experience is, of course, hanging tight. And in a hang glider, though, there are two ways that you can hang tight. The first is that you hang tight onto the glider, just like my little Lego man here. Or as Stacy calls it, what do you call it? A bonhomme? A, b- a bonum? Bonum? Anyway, as you can see, this Lego man is holding tight onto the hang glider. But the greater reality is that the hang glider is holding onto him, right? There's this thing on a hang glider known 
known as the control bar, and you hold onto it with your two hands like this. This is how you steer and other such things. But if your safety purely relied on you holding onto the control bar, then you would never succeed. You would lose strength. You're, you, would, you would fall eventually. This is the life of, of the law lover. Now, I want to make a confession right now to you. Uh, I have spent 39 years of my life calling this a hand glider. Okay, uh, obviously some of you knew, knew the name earlier than I did, and I literally found out this, this week that it's not called a hand glider, it's called a hang glider. And that's not even a lie. And so I feel a, a little bit embarrassed. I'm no expert on this, because I thought it was called a hand glider. But, but through learning that, I learned that it's more than just about calling it the right thing. Because when I called it a hand glider, my focus was on the hands of the person gliding. It was all about their strength. It was all about what they were able to do. And that's 39 years of me thinking that it's a hand glider. It all relies on them, that they had control. But now I realize that in calling it a hang glider, that the emphasis is on the glider itself, that you're hanging from it, that it's holding on to you, that 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 this glider, this grace glider, is the main thing. It's Jesus Christ. It holds you. And all that that person has to do, they could let control, let go of the control bar, and the glider would still have them. And so, yes, we do need to hold on to the glider, but the much more important way for you to hang tight is to strap yourself in, in faith. And once you're strapped in, it's no longer you holding on to the glider, but it's the glider holding on to you. Amen. And so in verse uh, 28 of chapter 2, it says this, And now, now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. You are suspended from the glider. It's holding on to you, this wonderful picture of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to maybe track with me where we have gone so far. So we have God's grace, which is the thermals holding us up. And then we have Jesus Christ as this glider holding on to us. And it's as we hang on to him, as we allow him to hold on to us, that we will have confidence when he returns. So as we continue in Christ now, we will have confidence in front of him later, holding on to him, trusting him. And then we go on to verse uh, 29, which says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him which means that we have a responsibility, we have a task, and our task is to live in the right way, in a way that glorifies God. And this really is what John in his letter so far up until this point has been trying to communicate, uh, like we read in verse 3 of, of chapter 2. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Now, now, Doing right is not what gives us new birth in him. We aren't saved through our works, so it's very clear in the Bible all the way through. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9, it's by grace that we have been saved, not through works. But doing what is right in God is an indicator that we have been transformed into grace gliders. 
So we hold on to him with all of our might, knowing that he's holding on to us with all of his might. Let me say that again. We hold on to him with all of our might, knowing that he's holding on to us with all of his might. Now let's let's think in our mind about a scenario in which, in which you're about to hang glide. You're there on the edge of the mountain and you're about to leap off and then and then the person who's running this hang, hang gliding thing walks up to you and says, okay, we're about to strap you into the harness. Now, it's a pretty good one. It's not the best on the market, but it's okay. You see, we've had to make some some financial cutbacks over this year. Now, it should hold you. I'd say the odds of it holding you are probably 60-40 in your favor. So not that bad. Now, would 60-40 odds give you the confidence to step, to step off that mountainside in Christ? The answer is no. And so as we grace glide with Jesus, we can be absolutely secure that he has us. We can be secure that we're strapped into his love and that he's never going to let us go. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason that the world does not know us is that it, it, it did not know him. Now, when you're, when you're grace gliding, you, it's tough for you to explain to someone who's still bound to the mountainside what that experience is like. You know, the law lover and the freedom junkie, they don't know what it's like. But this experience looks like something like this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. It says, what great love. What great love, such a love that we, we are not able to understand or to comprehend. Love that escapes words. Love that is furious and fiery and passionate and caring and absolutely tender and sacrificial and never-ending. See what great love. He's, he's saying, see. He's saying, look at it. And, 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 and he says, see what great love. The father, which, which, which means this is a relational love. It's the love of a father to a child. It's a love that will not give us a stone if we ask for bread or a snake if we ask for a fish. He says, see. He says, look at, he says, understand. He says, meditate. He says, observe. He says, you have to pay attention to this. He says, examine. He says, mark. He says, note. He says, study. He says, recognize. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Lavished on us. Romans 8, he, do, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Romans 8, 32. This is the love that the Father has lavished on us. We who, by nature, are sinners, mountainside bound, that we should be called children of God. And then, as if that's not enough, he says, and that's what we are. Friends, that harness that is holding you into this grace glider is military grade. It's a material that astronauts use that will withstand re-entry. It's a, it's, it's, 
It's the material of God's great love that has survived the fires of hell, has been proved, has been tested, and has survived. So you can be absolutely sure that this great love that the Father has lavished on you will hold you. It will never let you go. And so you have that freedom to launch out in Christ and to hang tight on to Christ. And lastly, to aim true. Chapter 3, verse 2 says this. Dear friends, now we are, we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in them purify themselves just as he is pure. Friends, as grace gliders in Jesus, we are children of God. John is saying that this fact, this, this truth is already in the bank. He says, now we are children of God. If you have trusted Jesus, then you are, you are God's child. You are a child on which the Father consistently lavishes his love. And, and, and if that was it, then that would be enough. That would be sufficient. But John, in effect, says, if you think this is good, then wait to see what comes later. But he doesn't actually tell us what it is, what comes later. He says, now you are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. He's saying that it's so marvelous and so astounding and so incredible. And so he gives us a little bit of a teaser trailer. What we will be has not yet been made known. But then it's almost as if the suspense becomes way too much for him. He he just can't keep in this truth. And so he explodes and he spills the beans. Okay, okay, I'll tell you. Stop annoying me. Stop asking me. I'll tell you. And then he has this huge smile on his face as he whispers, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. But that's it. I can't tell you anymore. You'll just have to wait and see for yourselves. For we shall see him as he is. And that makes my soul want to say hallelujah. What a glorious day that we will see Jesus as he is and we will survive because we will be like him. We will be glorified. We will be perfect. We will be holy. And John ends by saying, all who have this hope in them, they purify themselves just as he is pure. And how do we do this? How do we aim true? How do we purify ourselves? By listening to the Holy Spirit. You see, he's flying, flying tandem with you. He's instructing you. He teaches you. Someone who's hang, hang gliding keeps aloft by constantly searching for and flying into thermals. If the thermals didn't exist, hang gliding wouldn't exist. And grace gliders keep aloft by consistently flying into God's grace. And so God the Father is holding you up on his thermals of grace. Jesus Christ is the glider holding you secure, and the Holy Spirit is there riding tandem with you, and he, he tells you where to go. Verse 27 of chapter 2 says this, As for you, the anointing that you received from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. 
but his anointing teaches you about all things. This is talking about God's Holy Spirit riding tandem with you, whispering words of instruction into your ears. And so even though we may have our hands on the control bar, it's the Father keeping us aloft by his grace. It's the Son keeping us strapped in by our great salvation, secure in him. And it's the Spirit who rides along with us, in us, speaking to our spirit and telling us where to go, where to avoid. Isn't this an amazing view of what God, our Holy Trinity, looks like, how he works in and of our lives. Is it, isn't that amazing? And that's what continuing in Christ means. Continuing in him. Don't stray. Don't waver. Listen to his instructions as he tells you where to steer your life with your hands on the control bar. And when Jesus points out areas of sin in your life, don't ignore him just as you wouldn't ignore a hang glider instructor if he was to tell you to avoid crashing on that mountain that's ahead. And that's how we launch out. That's how we hang tight. And that's how we aim true. Friends, we were not created to be law lovers. Friends, we were not created to be freedom junkies. We were created and saved to ride on the thermals of God's grace, held secure by Jesus and guided by the Holy Spirit. And our destination is heaven, seeing him as he truly is and looking just like him. Now that guy at the beginning, John, said that his goal was to hang light all the way across Australia. And I hope that your goal is to grace glide all throughout your life. God's grace, God's love has got you. So launch out, hang tight, and aim true.